This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. This show is about you, so we're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some killer free ebooks, drills, and exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. And if you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, and especially at our live programs here in LA, check out the toolbox at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. We've got a lot of fundamentals there. So body language, nonverbal communication, eye contact, vocal tonality, business networking, negotiation, dating, attraction, a lot of stuff that's more important than you might think. And we have our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California, theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp, or you can just email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything. Today we're talking with Brad Salas. We're going to talk about millennials, you bastards, and how we can communicate with older folks and vice versa, how to find a mentor and what to do when you find one to make sure they don't want to strangle you, and of course, why multitasking is making you look lazy at work. We're also going to talk about how a millennial can be an asset or a detriment depending on how they are managed in the workplace. And last but not least, if you're a millennial, how you can stand out positively in your new job. Enjoy this one with Brad Salas. I mean, you started the first dot com. That's a bold, that's a bold yep. statement. Actually, if you go look up advertising age in, I think it was July or August of 1996, you will find that there are only 10 companies across the United States that were doing web development and we were the only one in New York City. Wow. And and yeah, yeah, so there is proof. And then um all of a sudden you you within a year there were several hundred. And then the year after that we're talking like close to a thousand and everybody started going public and I started to look at the landscape. Now I'm a baby boomer. Uh, I'm right at that cusp, right at the crossover into Gen X. And I kept looking around and I started to realize that those hundreds and hundreds of dot-com companies were founded by young people who were born around 1977. And this was before anybody was talking about the generational issues, but they were paying attention to them. They were going, wow, what's going on with these young kids? So I'm sitting there scratching my head as well. So uh, that started to get me to think. You know, this generation did not want to play by the rules that their mom and dad played by. Yeah. I, I mean, you're you're essentially a generational expert. Would you say that's exactly? Accurate? Oh, okay. yeah. Very big time. And because I'm a boomer, I get the boomer mindset. Uh, you know, my dad was, <laughs> you know, sit down, shut up and listen. That was his attitude. And you have to wait your turn and pay your dues and work hard and uh, wait till you're 40 before you get the corner office. You know, so I have a little bit of that tradition in me, and I, I know how boomers think, so it helps me to go into the boardroom and say, look, here's how millennials think, because I have context. You know, looking down through the years, I can see what influenced each generation. And um, millennials think actually in the very opposite way of boomers. So 
let's get into that in a little bit too, because I agree, obviously, and I'm not even that old. I'm 34, but I'm still like, how the hell does this kid think I'm going to hire him? And then he's like, I don't really want to be doing things like that. And I'm like, okay, then you're fired. And they're like, well, wait, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I need you to do this, this, and this. I don't care about like what you're interested in. Like, I need you. I'm hiring for this. I'm, right. I, I mean, it'd be great if we could all work at our passions, but I need somebody who's going to do this stuff. I don't really want you. I don't need you to like decide that you're a graphic artist tomorrow. And then like, now I've got to figure out work for you. My company's got work to do, not work. I'm not here to figure out how you fit in. You're here to figure out how you fit in. So, and we can get into that in a little bit. And I'm going to rant a little bit, of course. But I mean, you've been an entrepreneur for 30 years plus. You've had simple ideas grow into into big things. Give us some context. Let me go millennial on you. Why should I listen to you? Why are you? What makes you so smart? <laughs> Probably because of my giant brain. <laughs> Actually, let, let's go back in time. And, and this will tell you why you should listen to me. I've been an entrepreneur for 35 plus years. And you're probably now rolling your eyes saying, oh, an old guy, right? No. What happened is because I'm an entrepreneur, I have been forced to keep pace with all the technology and the things that are going on. And of course, I started the first dot-com company to go public on NASDAQ. Uh, and we were building these amazing websites at a time when you had a 56K modem in most of the households. So I kind of know what I'm talking about when I talk about technological and behavioral disruption because I lived through it. Uh, many of the advisors out there that are organizational advisors or corporate advisors or even millennial advisors have never owned a company and never actually managed the generational divide. And I have. So th that's. That's where I'm coming from, really. Okay, that's good because you're in a, kind of a unique position with that as well. I, I mean, having not that everybody isn't doesn't have that generational divide experience, but there's a lot of people that probably just don't get it. But you've put a lot of effort into figuring out. Would you say how millennials slash non millennials can work together successfully? Yes. During the dot-com boom, uh, I, almost everybody that I was hiring, and I'm a baby boomer, so everybody I was hiring, pretty much 90% of my employees were Gen X and Gen Y. Uh, and, and they were technologically savvy. They were uh, constantly wanting to collaborate. They wanted to build cool websites. And some of what we talked uh, about before, everybody wanted to do amazing work. And so I, I'm actually sitting here uh, looking at my baby boomer uh, partners, business partners, and I'm going, what is going on? Because I was being told off in my own company. I fired a lot of people in the very beginning. Sure. And all of a sudden, I said, wait a minute, there's got to be a bigger issue here. And remember, this is like 17, 18 years ago. Gen Y has been analyzed to death, okay? Back then, nobody knew what the hell was going on. Uh, pardon my French, but it, it was sort of like people were just like, why aren't they obeying the rules? Why aren't they doing things the way they were told? And th the boomers in the office that we had hired, they're just sitting there scratching their head. Nobody could figure out what was causing this, this sort of craziness that was going on. And back in those days, it was like the Wild West because we didn't have the infrastructure you have today. We didn't have Wi-Fi networks. We didn't have uh, a lot of this uh, technological rush that's taking place. It was very simple, and you could keep up to date on technology every single day by just reading the newspaper. <laughs> okay. Yeah, of course. That was the beginning 
of the work I'm doing today. Okay. Okay. And so why is it so important? Because, I mean, can't we just hire either millennials that get it or just not hire millennials at all? Well, that's like uh, picking out a needle in a haystack. And, And the thing I like to always point out to people is millennials are your customer. They're your new customer. They're going to be your new workforce. They're ready for leadership positions, including Generation X. Uh, so they don't think the same, they don't behave the same, they don't buy the same, they don't romance the same, they don't do anything the same. And you still have boomers that are in positions of power that don't get it. So on some level, yeah, we could ignore them, but, you know, that's 65% of the workforce uh, in the next five years will be millennials. Uh, So we have to pay attention. Yeah, that's true. They're doing a lot of buying on their phones and through ads that they've heard through services that you don't even know exist, like Spotify. Right. And do you know what Spotify is? I'm not trying to embarrass you or anything. No, no, no. I listen to new technology every single day. What is Spotify? Okay, Spotify is like, imagine, you know what iTunes is? Oh, absolutely. So you keep all your music in iTunes. Well, what if you didn't need to keep your music anywhere and it was all in the cloud, which I'm sure you are familiar with? Yes. And then you could just go, oh, you know what? I feel like listening to a collection of music that maybe sounds like this artist that I like. And you type that in, and every track from that artist shows up, but it can also say, hey, if you like this, you'll probably like this too, and it will just play. And all the album art is in there, and you can synchronize it across your phone. It doesn't need to download anything except for the program itself. And you can you can say, hey, Jordan, you know, I know you were looking for relaxing stuff at work, and you liked the crap I was playing in my car, and you can <laughs> shoot me a link, and I can listen to that whole playlist that you just made. I don't have to download any of the music. So that's what Spotify is, and everyone has it. I hear crazy stuff right now, but you know what? Here's the, here's the crazier part. At least I'm open to it. Uh, and I turn around and I listen to my nephew and, and, uh, I get, I talk to the millennials I coach and I work with and I just kind of say, okay, what's the new stuff that's out there? And, um, they're open. They help. How do you learn about technology? I'm just curious. Just internet. Well, it depends. I, I look at Wired Magazine. I put two and two together. I sit with IT guys and I, I actually look at them and I say, look, Explain this to me like I'm six years old. And once I understand the technology, the basics of it, then I start to think, well, how are people going to use this to reach each other or use it as a sales tool or use it in marketing or reaching eyeballs, things like that. And once I do that, then I'm dangerous. Okay, excellent. What's the first step? If if you're looking at a bunch of millennials in your office and you're like, I'm just going to ignore these guys, let middle management or let lower level people deal with them, you know, that's a losing mindset. Or, I mean, it just kind of alienates you, makes you a little bit of a relic, right? Yes, it does. Let's go back in time, if I can, and and explain. There were three major influences that changed the behavior of this next generation. And this is really important. If you're a millennial and you're listening to this, you're probably sitting there going, well, I'm friends with my parents. They, They love me, but they don't understand me. And if you're a baby boomer, you're probably sitting there going, yeah, my, my kid's awesome, but I don't get any of this technology. Uh, and also, if you're a C-level executive or your manager, you're probably sitting there going, what am I going to do? Because in the next five years, I'm either going to be forced to retire or I'm going to have to train these young wonderkins to run my company and I don't understand them. So understanding them, to me, is the, the key to being able to manage and, and work with them and also with them working with us. So can we go back in time for yeah, just a let's, moment? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. 
the morning of my 18th birthday, my father walked into my bedroom and he basically looked at me and he says, all right, according to the law, you're a man now and you have three choices in this household. And I'm like, well, what are those choices? Well, number one, you can go to college and I'll try and help you get there. Or you can go get a job uh, and start paying room and board around here. And I said, well, what's the third choice? And he said, well, you can move out. Uh, and that sounds harsh <laughs> to, to a millennial, but that's how baby boomers were raised. We were taught tough love. We were expected to be out of the house by 21. Okay. And this was a harsh reality. Uh, for any baby boomer, it was tough parenting. And this is the way it was in the school system. Uh, so picture that world now as we go back in time to 1977. What was the number one box office movie in 1977, Jordan? Revenge of the Nerds? No. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars. Oh, okay. I wasn't born then, so how the hell do I know? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of uh, aficionados of, of the Star Wars genre just yeah. immediately jump in when I'm I sure, talk yeah. about this. And what it is, and I know you're probably rolling your eyes like, well, why is this important? Well, before Star Wars, and you can check this online or you can look it up, most of the top 10 movies and television shows were either westerns or uh, detective thrillers or romance or, or adventures. There, science fiction was really treated horribly. Uh, there were a couple of milestone movies that came along, such as uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey and things like that. But the science fiction genre, believe it or not, is uh, part of the intellectual crowd, intelligentsia. And what started to happen is that became mainstream. It was no longer just nerds going to see a movie like this. Everybody started to see Star Wars. And what they did is in the brains of everybody born around 1977 onward, they saw science fiction as possible. In other words, science fiction became science fact. And uh, the theoretical physicist, Dr. Michio Keiko, actually said this on Prophets of Science Fiction. He said, Star Wars initiated a paradigm shift. And what that did is it changed the thinking around the world. If you sit down and you talk to any NASA scientists, they've cited that over 50% of them claim that either Star Wars or Star Trek made them want to be a NASA scientist. Can you believe that? <laughs> and what this did is all of a sudden science fiction went mainstream. And if you look at the top 10 blockbuster movies over the last 35 years, seven of them have been science fiction. Before that, that didn't happen. Just look at it. It's from Terminator to uh, Back to the Future. All these movies showed a young person winning the day, battling adults by using technology. And they were the only ones who could solve the problem were young people. And, you know, you may be sitting there going, come on, Brad, are you serious? Well, Star Wars was seen in Guam. It was seen in Canada. It was seen uh, in Japan. It, yeah, so Star Wars was the only American movie, a science fiction movie, that was seen all over the world and taken seriously. And it initiated a paradigm shift. In other words, people now started to rush to embrace technology because Star Wars showed us how we, use this, how we could use this technology. Think about it, iPads, um, holograms, digital uh, cloud networks, things like that, robots. We have all that stuff now. We did not have that in 1977. What this did is boomers, if you talk to any boomer, we resist buying new technology. 
We fight it like crazy. We'll wait till the second or third version comes out. You now have a new generation that embraces every single new device that comes out and thinks it's cool, understands it, things like that. If you had to travel back in time to 1973 and explain Facebook to a boomer, their head would explode. Sure. But today, the average person, the average millennial coming right out of school, whatever, grasps the complexity of the technology immediately. And that's a result of Star Wars. Just from not just Star Wars, but this opening up of the Pandora's box of everything in science fiction being now acceptable and mainstream in our television shows, in our toys, in our uh, in the way we look at things. Uh, and that actually leads me into the second influence that also helped change a generation, which is video games. Yeah, sure. Uh, Atari and Magnavox brought the, the game stations into the home in 1977. And what happened is, okay, I went to the arcade as a kid and I had to pump quarters in there. So when the, the video games came into the household, it was like, holy cow, this is, this is amazing. Well, it wasn't those first games. It was the second initiation of those games, which was 1984. Atari failed miserably and all of a sudden Nintendo, and Sony brought in their stations into the household, and that's when it took off. And you're probably going to go, come on, Brad, are you serious? Video games? Well, I'm not talking about like Pong or Ms. Pac-Man. I'm talking about highly complex, multi-level, multiplayer role-playing games. And this led to the online role-playing games as well. And what this did is it changed the behavior of the next generation. And I'll ask you a question. How or what do you learn in a video game? multitasking, doing a lot of things at once, probably. Exactly. But here's the most important part. The first thing is you don't read directions when you get into a video game. You leap in and you just start making mistakes. Risk uh, creates this paradigm where you can learn. Risk equals reward. The more you risk, the higher the reward. So it's just about jumping in and playing the game. The second thing is you learn the politics and the rules intuitively. You don't read that box, like I said, to learn the rules. You learn it by mistakes. The more mistakes you make, the more you learn. You're testing the boundaries. Speed is paramount to mastery. You multitask, as I said before. And once you storm the castle, you kill the trolls, and you save the princess, guess what? Forget everything you just learned because the rules change at the next level. Right. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So that sounds like a positive in a lot of ways. It is a positive, but this drives boomers crazy because boomers were taught, if I make a mistake, I'm fired. Millennials were taught mistakes are the only way to learn. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. See how everything is the opposite in this world? The other thing is, is that uh, baby boomers were taught to respect the rules, go through the hierarchy, wait your turn, and eventually you'll get to the top. Whereas millennials were taught, all I have to do is play the game and learn in real time, and I should be in the same level as the guy who's 40 and 50 years of age. Right. Yeah. Okay. So this, whenever I give this list, a lot of times baby boomers are sitting there with their mouths wide open as I'm telling this, because this has been the biggest influence on the behavior of the next generation. And you're also probably sitting there going, come on, Brad, once again, <laughs> how does this influence us? Well, uh, Marianne Proust uh, wrote, a, uh, Marianne Wolf wrote a book called Proust and the Squid, the story and the science of the reading brain. 
And she points out in that book that we learn how to speak English or Spanish as babies just by hanging out with our parents. Then we have to learn how to read and write it by going to school. Eventually, we learn how to drive a car, and then eventually we learn how to use a computer. That's how it was for us growing up. Well, you now have a new generation, anybody born after 1977, where their primary uh, methodology is to manipulate digital information before they could read, write, or speak. And this is why you'll see a four-year-old who's more comfortable using an iPad than a boomer, because our brains have been formed differently. So does it really affect your brain, or is it just that they learn it early, so it seems natural? Well, it's part of the cerebral cortex. It's actually this central habit that they're used to. So it actually, it's almost like your primary language. Like my wife is from Haiti, so she speaks Creole and French. And if she wakes up suddenly in the middle of the night, that's what she's going to speak because her conscious brain is not on. That must be terrifying. No, it's I, I know <laughs> a little bit, but for anybody born really after 1984 who has been immersed in video games, their primary language is technology. Oh, yeah. It, wow, that is a very interesting point. Okay, so that's... this all leads into why the heck millennials act the way that they do. Yeah, and I have a third piece of this data puzzle <laughs> All right, that's going to freak everybody out, especially boomers if they're listening. And millennials, this will explain why your parents and you get along, but they don't understand you. Right around, and this is the third big piece, right around 1977, this became mainstream. In the colleges in California and all around the world, they felt that the world's problems were caused by low self-esteem. So the schools got together, the public school system, and they decided, hey, we're going to teach something called child-centric parenting. And they encouraged parents to do this in the household. So parents started to listen to like Dr. Spock and all these, these PhDs who basically said, you need to treat your children as if they're part of the household. And now all of a sudden, instead of conversations like my father used to have, which is, I'm your father, not your friend, and he used to make me take out the garbage and all this, now you had parents looking at their kid and going, hey, Billy, should mommy and daddy get a divorce? What do you think, buddy? And yeah, I know we're laughing right now, but what happened is most millennials on this podcast will agree that they are friends with their parents. Am I right? You look at your parents, not maybe as friends, but as mentors and heroes in your own life. That never happened before. Just want to let you know that. And you're probably saying, well, how does that affect where we are today? Well, it flattened the hierarchy in the home. Suddenly, millennials were now comfortable with having adult conversations about their feelings and, and negotiating things with their parents. So the hierarchy got flattened. Parents became peers. Just like in a video game, things can only move quickly if everything is a peer-to-peer network. Then they went into the school system and were encouraged to speak to their teachers by using the first name. So they called teachers Becky. Hey, Becky, I don't want to do math today. I want to do art. And that flattened the hierarchy in the school system. Now, everybody was shocked when that first wave of millennials walked into a corporate environment, walked right up to the CEO two weeks after being there and would say, hey, Chet, how about if I show you how to run this company better? Yeah. yeah. Have you thought about using Google Apps? Yeah. Get the hell out of my office. Exactly. (laughs) So if there's a millennial listening, 
you may not realize you're infuriating your boss by being so comfortable <laughs> with just walking right up to them and telling them how things should be run. Back to the show. Like I said, I'm not that old. And even for me, that drives me nuts because I'll have like an intern or something like that. And, and they're like, you know, find me a way that I can add value. And I'm like, well, I hired you to do X, Y, and Z, and you want to do ABC, which I don't need. And if I do need it, that's great. And maybe you can help me do that after you're done with what I assigned to you. But they just, they're not interested in that. And for me, that's been a source of frustration. And for me and them, because honestly, I, I just, people ask for internships. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want that. It's your job to tell me what you can do to make my company better, but then it's my job to then be able to give you things and have you do them, regardless of whether or not you think it's fascinating or part of your core competency, et cetera, because I'm running the company and you're not. Not, thanks for your help running the company, guy who's never had a real job. I don't want that. And yes, I'm being a little bit of crotchety old man right now, but I, I don't care. Well, that was my frustration during the dot-com boom. It's like, look, do you realize we have to create profitable you know, products here. You know, it isn't playtime, but yeah. But you have to realize it depends on how you were raised. That that really is important, and what country you might have been raised in as well uh, has a huge influence uh, on how you are as an adult. You can't take somebody who, for twelve years of the school system plus another four more for a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. You can't expect them to stop with that collaboration. And, and they've had so many years of being able to do and cherry pick the curriculum they want to do. And a lot of millennials, I know you're listening and you, you're kind of reaching that point of frustration in the business world because you actually are starting to realize everything you were taught through grade school and high school and college was kind of maybe a, a load of hooey you know, this collaboration and feel good kind of stuff. And you're realizing when you get out into the real world, you have to do the grunt work in order to get into that, that office. You have to do the hard stuff. You have to pay your dues and you have to uh, do the things that maybe you weren't really trained to do. And when you work with someone like Jordan, uh, you may be thinking, Hey, I'm, I'm talking to a peer. He gets me, man. And then you find out, well, he's just like a boomer. No, it's, this is how business runs, and this is how it has run since the beginning of recorded history. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. we're creating something here, and I personally feel, Jordan, you're you're creating something amazing, quite frankly, extraordinary. Because mentorship programs like this did not exist when I was your age. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's we're all missing this stuff. That's the show we wish we had ten years ago. Right, and and this gets back to my point exactly, and I, I point this out at every corporation I'm at. Millennials, you guys have had a huge amount of training removed from your curriculum through your life. And here's the, the thing, you don't know you've had it removed. That doesn't mean that you're handicapped in this, in this situation. It just means you have to now seek out what's missing. That requires, like Jordan, you already come pre-packaged, ready to go. <laughs> you're trained. Yes. But in most corporations, that isn't how it is. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. First of all, millennials were raised almost to be more of an entrepreneur. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to all start businesses. Yeah, they should not. They should not. And they, But they think like an entrepreneur. And managing entrepreneurs is like herding cats. It's a real tough job. You have to learn a results-only work environment 
rather than a rules-based work environment. And that that's rough. You know, everybody wants to push against the rules. It doesn't matter where you are. So I hear you and your frustration sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I love the outside the box thinking. If somebody's working in a system for me for a few weeks or months and they're like, hey, there's this thing that seems like an inefficiency. Maybe I'm just wrong on this. Maybe there's a reason, but it seems like you could go directly from step A to step C. And that's when either I go, oh my God, I never thought of that. You're right. Yeah. Let's set it up that way. Or I go, no, I want you to do step B because that's how I look and see your workflow. And if step B is not there and we need to back up, we're screwed if step B is not there. And so unfortunately, I've had millennials working here before Instead of telling me what they're going to do, they're like, I'm so friggin' smart. I'm going to skip step B. These idiots didn't even realize. And then when I go, hey, this thing broke, but it's okay. We can just go back to step B. And they go, oh, I haven't been doing step B for like a month because it took an extra five seconds. <laughs> so now we got to spend seven days going over the whole log record. And maybe it's just better to rebuild the whole thing because it'll take less time. And it's like, I want to kill you. You know, you're lucky we're on the first floor because you're going out the window. So there's there's tons of that and yeah it's good and bad right like you can get really efficient you can get some great hacks but the problem is when the hacks fail you're screwed and then you're the one holding the bag because you're the boss it's your company and the millennial goes well six o'clock i'm going home right well i don't want this to turn into a millennial bashing it's not though it's, I mean, not. it's not but i want i want millennials who are listening to understand you're frustrated with boomers. I get that. You're you're frustrated with us because we we don't do things fast enough. We look like dinosaurs. We don't embrace the technology. And I'll tell you why we appear that way to you. And that is we were taught to do our work correctly the first time. Yes. It's number one. Number two, we were taught that systems have to be in place so that if one of us dies on the way to work. Right. Barry in accounting can step in and take over. That's why you have these steps. And being a little bit too independent in a company, it can uh, really drive everyone nuts. Unless you're in an entrepreneurial startup, sometimes that innovation is great, like you said, but you've got to keep showing people the steps through the process. And definitely boomers, remember, boomers started using a lot of these tools that you're familiar with back when uh, we only had 13-inch VGA monitors. And so we may have picked up all the key commands through that 15-year process, and you just picked that software up in college, and those key commands that we've been trained to do shouldn't be used anymore, but we don't know it because we haven't been trained. So we know some of the software, but we came through the evolution of that software. So you have to pull us aside and say, hey, you're doing that wrong. And suddenly we discover something that took us a week to get done. Now it takes us two hours. Boomers need training too. You know, we were part of those companies that helped build the internet and create a lot of this great technology. I work with Dell and, and uh, MasterCard. And I have to tell them, you know, this generation is familiar with the technology and this generation resists the technology. What are you going to do? Go. Let's have a discussion. You know, <laughs> uh, and that's where we're at. We're really crossing over from the 20th century into the 21st century. Sounds good. Um, yeah, so uh, the next logical question, though, is how do we become better, right? Because if you're a millennial, you're like, crap, I need to figure out how to talk to old people, stat. And if you're, if you're one of us, we're like, all right, well, these guys aren't going away. And yes, I can filter for, like, the unicorn millennial that already knows how to talk to us really well, 
And that's what I'm doing right now, just like paying the people outrageously well who figured out that they need to be able to speak Greek to talk to me because I'm so old and don't get it. <laughs> but, you know, we need, yeah. where can we start to, you know, can we meet in the middle? Is there some, some, some sort of Esperanto where the millennials can sort of use it and we can use it and then we can find out that we don't need to kill each other with fire? Yes, we can do this. I actually had this discussion this morning at one of my business groups. I was giving a presentation and it, it's really interesting. It's millennials were trained since childhood to discuss things with their parents in an open forum, in an open voice. And then when they get to work, if that baby boomer boss or that Gen X boss kind of is gruff and tells them off and doesn't appreciate what they're doing, they shut that communication down really fast. And boomers sit there scratching their head going, but they, they seem like they can communicate. Well, you almost have to open the door for millennial because uh, once they get around a gruff boss, they shut down. And so if you're that gruff boss, you have to have maybe a Monday morning planning session or meeting where everybody's idea can be presented at the table without being patronized or put down or said, that's dumb. I don't want to do that. But listen to those ideas. And millennials, this will help you. All business ideas either have to make the company money or save the company money. That's all you have to do is think in those terms, make money or save money. So it's either about profit or efficiency. So put together a proposal and don't just write it, you know, helter skelter and grab a bunch of stuff off the internet. Really put some time and effort into writing it and say it out loud because millennials are not known for their writing abilities. The best proposals that are written really well are the ones that get to the top and present your ideas that way. And sometimes, and this has happened to a friend of mine, one of his proposals was so darn good. The company got together and put him in charge of a brand new division for him to run and about a 40% boost in salary. So, you know, these things do work. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's phenomenal. So basically, he made himself so useful, they promoted him, which is the idea. Every company wants to do that. Yeah, and here's the funny funny part. His name was Phil. That's not funny at all. He just, I know. <laughs> he jumped from job to job. Every two to three years, he'd get really impatient, and he'd leave. Well, he finally wound up at one of these top financial investment firms, you know, big, big money. And right when he hit that three-year mark where he was frustrated and he wanted to move on, he went home over a weekend and he wrote out a proposal on what bothered him at the company and how they could fix it. And it was about inefficiency. And he needed an oversight committee. He felt there should be an oversight committee that looked for typos, uh, money problems, uh, things that they wrote improperly on the bottom line, getting the P&L statements perfect, things like this. And they were so impressed with that proposal, they put him in charge of a brand new division that oversaw <laughs> mistakes, <laughs> <Right>. basically. <laughs> so they're like, if you're going to be that anal, you get to be the chief anal guy in charge. Yeah, and Phil was incredibly anal. And you would never know that because him and his wife were kind of like hippies, you know. And then he told me one day how he was at work. And I said, I could never work for you <laughs> because he was so anal. Uh, and he, they put him in charge of this whole division. And I thought... That's what you need to do. If you're frustrated with your job, if you're really bothered, just sit down and say what bothers you. Write it down in a proposal. I mean, don't don't be pointing fingers, but try to find the solutions. 
That's yeah. the most important part. You know, it reminds me of this example, and I cannot remember for the life of me where I heard it. And maybe it was from something from you for all I know. But there was this guy, who, he was a young guy as well, and he worked for like the customer service arm of like a yacht motor company or something, a yacht engine company or a yacht company. He kept getting calls from people that were, you know, wanting repairs, having questions about how this thing, that thing worked on their really expensive boat. And they were getting frustrated because they're like, listen, I, you know, my boss is usually, you're not talking directly with the buyer. My boss gave you millions of dollars and this thing is broken. Like we need some help here. And they'd be on hold of it after write in. So what this guy did was in his free time, totally for free, he started an internet forum so that he could say, hey, listen, if you post this here, I'll reply to it. And he, he started, created this forum and it got super popular with everybody who bought the product because it was useful and they got responses written down so they could show the buyer that if the assistant was posting it or the wife was posting it, the husband could check it out, whatever it was. And the company eventually fired him because they're like, you're not allowed to have this resource where you're answering questions about us. You're basically moonlighting. He's like, well, I'm not making any money doing it. It's just so I can do my job here easier. So they fired him. And then he started to charge money for that website and was like, I can help you. I'm a former customer service rep with this company. Their support sucks. Mine's really good. So everybody started paying him. And then his old company acquired his company and pays him a ridiculous amount of money. Like, I can't remember what it was, five, ten times what he was making so that they can use his resource <laughs> in-house. And he's just laughing all the way to the bank because he was right. Yeah, your big takeaway from these stories is that if you handle things in a proper way, and yes, the big companies, they don't move very quickly. They don't always get social media. They want to control everything. You can actually circumnavigate that by just being better than that writing that that award-winning proposal helping your customers at a at a deeper level getting involved in in showing them and getting more hands-on because the larger the company the less likely they're going to have a hands-on people out in the in the customer service area that seems to be a dying area and then millennials i think could really really help out there because you know, look at Geek Squad. How many people do not know how to just plug in their computer? And all of a sudden, a geek will show up at your house and do it. I mean, that yeah. business was started based on solving a problem. Yeah, because people were calling Best Buy and being like, I just bought this damn thing from you and it doesn't work. Is it plugged in? I don't know. It's in the box or whatever. You know, <laughs> they just didn't want to deal with yeah. it. And I don't blame them. I bought a home theater setup type deal, like a wireless stereo, because I'm listening to music all day. I work from home. And, you know, my girlfriend set the thing up for me and I was stoked because she's 29, 28 and, uh, you know, I'm not. So it was way easier for her and her bro who's really into tech stuff than me. Not that I w I'd like to think I would have figured it out really quickly, but I don't want to. I'm busy right. and I don't enjoy that. And she loves stuff like that. So there's got to be there's plenty of room for millennials. And yes, we're bashing on them because they frustrate us. But it's not their fault. It's not like what a bunch of no, idiots. It's like it's, we just don't get them. And I get no, that. I always say this. It's like I'm, I'm going to go to Italy. And what kind of person would I be if I didn't try to learn a little bit of Italian? And I just sat there and said, I'm not eating any pasta. I don't care about the meatballs. I don't care how delicious their food is. They better make a cheeseburger. Yeah, really you'd be an American. Stinks. But I'm right. saying, yeah. So you are foreigners in many ways to uh, a baby boomer mindset, even Gen X to a certain point, uh, because, you know, we're just sitting here trying to figure it out. And I'm the millennial whisperer. So I kind of show uh, boomers 
what it is that millennials bring to the table that's so awesome. Because I believe the next great innovative inventions are going to come from that next wave of, of millennial. Because right now, okay, we've done it. We've seen the computer come on board, the internet spread around the world, and now we have apps and we have the infrastructure in place. And by the way, it took like 150 years for the electrical grid and the industrial revolution to really implant itself all over the world. Uh, the information age really did it in 25 to 35 years. So in less than 50 years, this ideology, this infrastructure, this Wi-Fi network, this technological revolution spread within less than 50 years. Uh, that's amazing. That's within one generation. Sure. Yeah, that's it's actually really incredible. And I, I live in the part of San Francisco where all of a lot of these apps and things like that are being created. And it's really cool to download something that I just found out about and go, where have I heard of this? Oh, my God, I walk past them every day on my way to, to lunch because their office has a sticker on it, and you're using this app, and so are 150,000 people, you know, or more, and you're looking in their office, and there's five people in there, and they're just slamming away on laptops, and you're going, this is the app that I'm using? It's just like this little hole in the wall, and these kids are there 12 to 14 hours a day, and, right. you know, rain or shine, just working their butts off, because this is, they know that what they're doing is is meaningful and changing things, and only, let's be honest, only millennials can handle that. You get older exactly. guys, people over forty are like, "I'm freaking tired," and they're going, "Are you kidding? Yeah. We haven't even eaten lunch yet. <laughs> we haven't even it's had true. second lunch, and you're tired." It's true. Well, like I said, most boomers were not trained to work like this. I, I personally think more like a millennial. I work till one o'clock in the morning. I do two shifts in one day. I write books. Uh, I get on Skype or, or Google Hangout, and I do webinars. Uh, for lawyers and, and financial people who just don't get what's going on because they can't even reach that next customer. And when a boomer gets home at night, they want to sit down in front of the TV, sit back and relax and watch Dancing with the Stars. They don't want a Twitter. Yeah, I'm using that as probably the biggest extreme, but they don't want a Twitter. They don't want to interact. They, they just want to be entertained. Millennials, I, I usually sit with my nephew and I say, what TV shows are you watching? And he just looks at me and goes, I only watch sports on television. He goes, I go to Hulu and Netflix for everything else. So uh, the TV show, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. This is a good example. This is really and truly a millennial show. Uh, but if you look at Friends, it's identical to Friends in many, many ways. You know, as far as the way the characters are divided up. It's the same formula that they always use, but it's talking the millennial language. Most millennials have never, I mean, they watch it on a television, but it's rare that they watch that show on a, a traditional television set. Yeah. It's usually on their laptops. Yeah, no, no one's going, I got to be home at 830 because How I Met Your Mother's on. Whereas I right, remember right. being like, listen, guys, if we don't speed this up, I'm going to miss friends and I'm going to be pissed. Exactly. Yeah. I try to explain this to uh, some executives uh, in the programming department of these big broadcast channels. You kind of sit there and you, you have to get across to them. The average TV viewer is 53. Uh, if you go back 20, 25 years ago, they had shows for older people. They had like the Golden Girls and all these uh, Matlock and things like this. Oh, yeah. You know, we look at them, we go, oh, for God's sake, who would watch that? You know, and the price is right. 
Which is still on, by the way. Exactly. Yeah. So those were geared to the, the audience that was going to buy them, and the advertiser was Geritol or you know uh, Polygrip and things like this. Oh yeah, I remember that stuff. Right. So get this, because that's really television is not in the business of providing you entertainment. What they're in the business of is providing an audience for advertisers. That's really what they're in the business for. So. Now they don't know what to do because the average viewer just doesn't want to sit down at 8.30 and watch the show. They want to watch it later. Like they found out the there's an equal amount of people who watch Castle. Uh, uh, when's it on? I think it's like uh, Tuesday or Monday at 10 o'clock. And they found that an equal en- amount of people go on and watch it online later on during the week, the same episode. And yet they're still trying to make television shows to get young people involved. It's like, look, your target audience is 53. Start making television shows that are geared to a 53-year-old more and more. Yeah, I, I totally get it. I remember watching TV as a kid, and you know, maybe you're up north and the only show on is Golden Girls, and you're, you're seeing like the commercials. Getting old sucks so much, like your teeth are falling out randomly, yeah. your butthole hurts, like this yeah, is awful. I mean, it's like, man, I don't want to watch this. It's depressing. Yeah, totally depressing. Like, is this what I have to look forward to? Sort butthole cream and de- and teeth glue? Get me out of here. Welcome to America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah, it's horrible. So so give give boomers a little bit of a quick tip about how to relate to millennials. And I know you've got some millennial tips here, and I want to focus on those because I think the audience is generally a little bit younger as well. Well, let's let's start with uh, <laughs> let's start with boomers. Boomers you need to realize there's a new sheriff in town <laughs> and I know it's rough. It's like, look at this next generation. They don't obey the rules. They don't do any of this. The best thing you can do is do what I call reverse mentorship. Pick two or three young people that are sharp in your company and take them out to coffee uh, or lunch or something like that and sit down and actually listen to what's going on. Ask them the right questions. And this isn't time for you to sit there and go, you know, Back in the 70s, I invented Teflon. Right, back uphill both ways. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, I am so amazing. Let me tell you how amazing I am. No, this is a chance to be quiet because they already know you're kind of amazing because you wouldn't have the title or the business. So you don't have to talk about it. Instead, start listening to their contribution. Start listening to what they're delivering and giving uh, and and the ideas that they want. And here's something that a lot of people don't really like to do, but find a couple of the weirdos in the company and take them out to coffee as well, because you'd be shocked at how sharp and trained somebody who has purple hair might be. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm not saying you might have that, but there, in every company, there's somebody who's doesn't quite fit in a little bit out there and you kind of just bring them into the fold, make them feel like they're, they're part of the circle. Because I'll give you a good example. A friend of mine had one of the most successful dot-com web design companies here on Long Island. And uh, he had a young guy working for him that was such a dynamic IT specialist, but he didn't have the classic ability to stand in a meeting and talk for 10 minutes and then sit down. He would go on for 20 minutes and give you every detail about, you know, how the dashboard's going to work and how the HTML programming works and all this. And he never could get facial cues from somebody in the meeting that they were bored. <laughs> so he would yeah. go on and on and on. So my friend said, he's brilliant, but I don't know what to do with him. So 
here's what he decided to do. He took this young guy and he took him out for lunch and found out what his passions were. And this guy was a little bit weird. And what he found out is he was passionate about writing. So he took him aside and started to put him and get him involved in writing the pitch proposals for new business. Well, their proposals became so good, so dynamic that they started winning three and $4 million web design projects at a time. And all they had to do was train him a little bit on how to give a presentation like an automaton at Disney, you know, stand up, here's what you say, look around and then get down. They had to really work with him as if it was a performance. And do you know, it helped expand their business probably by about 300% because of that. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it was well worth it. It was oh, yeah, well worth it. Look at a person's skill set that it, it may not be on their resume, but they have and they bring it to the table and you might be able to utilize that and you have a happier employee who feels like they're giving uh, over to you and you seem to appreciate them. So any boomer listening, start looking at your employees a little bit differently because they don't want to just get a paycheck. They want to be engaged nowadays. It's a very different mindset where baby boomers, we were taught, you're, you're lucky to have a job. Just shut up and sit down. And now you have somebody sitting in that chair who's a little younger, who's looking to really find a place where they can be passionate about the work they do. So give them a reason to be passionate. It's simple. Excellent. Yeah. I've had a nickel for every time. Like, oh man, if I was just more interested in this, I mean, cause when you find the millennial, arguably I'm one too. I think it's like the same year or the year after. So I'm basically right on the cusp. I just, yeah. I think I just got crotchety cause I own a business now. And so I'm just like, I just started being, I got 10 years older instantly as soon as that happened. But, um, if I had a nickel for every time I found out or heard about, you know, if I was just more interested in this, but when you strike it gold, finding something that a millennial is interested in doing, you're just, they're just so ninja at it. It's amazing. It is. It's really cool, especially if it involves any kind of shred of efficiency, technology, systems hacking. I mean, they're just like running circles around it. And it's the whole project. I gave somebody, his name's Victor. I gave him a project I thought would be really you know, time consuming and tough. And he just was like, this takes me two hours a week, man, whatever. And I was like, all righty, you know, so yeah. I, I learned to expand it and it became almost like a vital role in the company that I've now got somebody else doing. And it's, it's really interesting to see just like, wow, that took a lot of stress off my life and made it really easy, but I needed a fresh eye and that fresh eye needed to be familiar with 87 different types of technological systems to figure out which one would be a good solution for me. So I love that. Now, for millennials, I want millennials to start looking around their office and looking for a mentor. You know, pick somebody that scares the hell out of you, because usually we build our lives based on safe. And if somebody scares you, you're probably going to get more out of that relationship than anything else, because they're going to teach you to go past your boundaries. Uh, so I would pick out two or three people that you can uh, ask to be mentored by within the organization and uh, just start looking at what's missing from your business acumen. You know, there's different things. Like, it is not cool to show up in flip-flops, okay? Uh, you do have to learn how to write a proposal. And this interview that we're doing right now, it is really important to be able to articulate yourself for over an hour <laughs> in a presentation or being interviewed or things like this and continuously bring it back to the subject matter. That's really important. The communication tools are at your fingertips just by sitting with a boomer will change the course of your career. 
So what if we're a boomer? How do we how do we make that work? How do I start to speak my boss's language before I get canned? <laughs> you have to make yourself so relevant to what's going on at the company. They're like, that kid's got moxie, you know, and moxie was a drink from back in the 50s. Um, basically, you have to make yourself look like the guy they can't live without or the gal they can't live without. And how do you do that? Well, just like Jordan said, you had somebody at the firm who showed you a better way to get things done. You gave him license to now be in charge of that. So if you're a millennial listening and you don't quite know what to do about approaching your boss, find something that your boss or your supervisor or the owner of the company, really, you think they need to solve uh, and, and present it to them. In, a, in an articulate way, because like I said before, there are only two things a company really needs. Either you're going to make them money or you're going to save them money, which is about efficiency. So pick a lane and show right. them how this technology can solve problems or how, and I hate to say this, you can eliminate an entire department by using this technology. Yeah, that's fair. If you could find something that replaces a person yeah. Here at AOC, I mean, I would, sorry, AJ, I'm just kidding. I, it's right. like, sorry, guys, you know, I, I'd find another role for people who are really good workers. But right. yeah, I mean, every company's looking to cut down personnel, especially if it's inefficient. Well, here, here's something that a lot of millennials may not know, but I use a MacBook Pro, a 17-inch MacBook Pro. That device has replaced 12 people. Oh, wow. Yeah, that makes sense. 12 people. Now, I, I used to work in high-level meetings. I'm talking the ones like, you know, they, they lift the cars out over the audience on hydraulics, and we have videos going and, and rock music and lights and all this. Those are the kind of meetings I used to do for like uh, 10, 15 years. And we had three major departments. We had art and production. We had special effects photography. And then we had computer uh, graphics, which was off to the side. And just by getting the MacBook Pro, we've eliminated production, which used to take four people. Mm -hmm. And there were four people in the special effects photography uh, department. And there were also two or three people who processed the film, because we used film back then, and they would mount it into slides, you know, glass slide mounts. One device has replaced the need for 12 people. Oh, man. That's, uh, that's great, though. I mean, right. And if you ideally. could present that to your boss, here's the other side of the coin. They never gave a pay raise, really, to yeah, designers. Yeah, sure. You still have the same deadlines. So the hustle is there. Everything that has to get done still has the same kind of deadlines. And so it has made us better, more efficient, faster, quicker. But And then there's the other side of it, too. But this is the way it's always going to be. And this has been the way it's been for hundreds and hundreds of years. Look for either making the company money or creating efficiency and saving the company money. And that's all you have to do to present. And if you're that person who has the ability to approach your boss in a business-like manner, not a companion or a buddy or a peer, but like somebody who respects the business hierarchy, guess what? They will respect you back. Perfect. All right. Well, what about counterexamples like Mark Zuckerberg? I mean, he's a millennial and he's crushing it. 
he's crushing it, but he also has a board of advisors that's made of people my age and older. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, uh, Mark is, uh, brilliant, but he's also can rub people extremely the wrong way. And as you know, this is about creating relationships. And Mark, if you've noticed, has toned down that arrogance or perceived arrogance that, uh, you know, they played off in, in the, the movie, uh, The Social Network. I look at Tony Shea and others in that, in that ilk because, uh, and let's use Tony Shea, uh, from Zappos as an example. Uh, Tony didn't found Zappos. He actually uh, bought into it and then became CEO. And what he really pushed for was that awesome customer experience. And since it's mostly women buying from the site, that becomes like, ah, oh, I can't believe I got those shoes so quickly. And their return policy was easy. Do you know how long it got him to sit down with all the buyers, all the shippers, all these people, and work out a coordinated effort that became seamless that really, I mean, it had to do with the website, but it also had nothing to do with the website except how can you process these orders faster? So that relationship of flying around, talking to people face-to-face, that is so important for the back end of your business to run that, that I, I don't think people really understand just how important that is. It's intense. Yeah. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah. I mean, it's very intense and it requires a ton of work. So if you're like a really brilliant millennial, you need to be able to attract the advisors to you. Yes. Don't find advisors that are just full of themselves. Find some real hands-on advisors who get this. And then listen to them, right? Get a mentor and then actually listen to them. Yeah. Yeah, like Steve Case at AOL or, you know, even Tony Shea, because he's not a millennial. He's actually Gen X. Someone like myself, you know, I'm on a board of advisors for a couple of companies as well. So, you, you know, find some sharp, smart people who understand it. it's not the technology is the delivery mechanism. It's really what is the relationship? What is the marketing side of this? And how are you going to make this become uh, an overnight success in less than 10 years <laughs> overnight success? and make that brand a household name. And the one thing that Tony Shea has always said, and this is why I like everything he does, he says, your culture, your corporate culture, is your brand. Well, that's true. Yeah, of course that's true. But it seems such a, like a given now, but back then, everybody's like, that's, that's a bunch of BS. doesn't have to be that way. When I, when I was growing up, if you worked inside a company, that was very different than what the marketing said. And people would come out at the end of the day and be disgruntled and angry and they'd complain, but nobody monitored that complaining. They didn't know it existed even. So the marketing department was sending out all these great pamphlets and telling everybody just how much of a genius the company is and buyer products and we're amazing. And then the internet came along and all, all of a sudden people would leave work and they'd complain on it on a board of some sort or a chat room. And all of a sudden the corporation was sitting there going, what? People hate our products. What the, and they try to shut it down. They don't like to hear negative uh, stuff. But that conversation was always there. It's just that now you have the technology to watch it. Perfect. Great. <laughs> yeah, of course. Now you can see all the destruction happening before your yeah, eyes. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. I remember I went to buy a Sony uh, camcorder a few years ago. And I've been in the business of doing videos and things like that. And I noticed they have the tape load from the bottom. Well, that means you have to take it off the tripod just to load a tape in. Who thought yeah. of that one? That That's one of those things my wife and I like to say, that looked great on paper. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds about right. Um, a lot of millennials don't follow through on what they say they're going to do. And a lot of people do that in general anyway. But I've just noticed it a lot with that because I feel like they're like, oh, that's not interesting to me anymore. I'm going to do this other thing or I'm going to focus on this other thing. Or they try to do the multitasking. And what it looks like to somebody in my position is that they just decided not to finish one project and moved on to another. Right. That's the hardest thing. Uh, when I had to write my book, Liquid Leadership, I had to stop almost everything just to focus on that one task. And that's very hard for a millennial to do. It's just the way uh, they've been raised. You know, you, you have a video game going, you have the internet on, you have music playing, and your mom's talking to you in the background. Uh, and that's something they're kind of used to. So for millennials, the only thing I can get you to learn is this. Um, you have to say no instead of yes to everything once in a while. Pick the projects you can do. And this has happened at a lot of companies, Jordan. They hear uh, millennials want to give back and they want to be involved in a cause. And at a lot of these companies, they're like, yeah, I want to be involved in this company because they help uh, you know, the, with the Special Olympics. And I want to do that. And then when it comes time to finding millennials to do that, they're not around. So they're, they're, the volunteerism right now is in the mind and not so much in, in the heart so much and the body. So all I can say to his millennials, if you agree to do something, you must follow through on it. Make that commitment starting today. That will make people pay attention to you and see you as a winner. And it will also make your paycheck get a little fatter because you are going to be somebody who accomplished goals. <laughs> and, if, and if you have a task, if you have a list of tasks that you must get done, even if they're not sexy and you get them done, trust me, your boss is going to notice you. Thanks so much, Brad. This is really interesting, and I, I hope a lot of people got a lot of value. I certainly did. Thank you, Jordan. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. Yes, I seem like I probably chat a little on millennials, but, you know, I'm kind of one, kind of not one, so I'm, I'm in that area where I probably shouldn't throw stones. I do think that it is, there's just so many interesting communication patterns, usually that result in miscommunication, with between millennials and older folks. And I think that just by being aware of this, understanding it, no matter which side of the fence you fall on, you can get some insight from this one and some tools to help you communicate better and stand out more if you're a millennial in, in the right way, or at least manage your millennials better if you're an old fogey like me. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that one. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show is a fanarchy. It's run by you. And we rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know, jordan at theartofcharm.com. That's me. If you enjoy this, don't forget to thank our guest on Twitter. We'll have that linked up in the show notes. Bootcamp details at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And if you're listening to this but you're not subscribed, subscribe in iTunes. Or we have our iPhone and Android apps, theartofcharm.com slash iPhone or slash Android. Those are both free, of course. And special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of this show. Please tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found it. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.